Hello, and welcome to Returning to Base, a Mech Warrior Living Legends podcast. Today's subject is pub etiquette. Uh, today, I have four guests. My guests are Architect. I am Clean Smoke Jaguar. I've been playing for a while, and I like to think I'm pretty good. And Kome? Uh, hello, I've played this game for almost 10 years. And Dead Salmon? Uh, Clan Jade Falcon. Technically not the most junior Falcon. Played for about a year and a half. And Direwolf. Hello, I am Direwolf. Another, Clan Jade, another member of Clan Jade Falcon. Somewhere in the middle of the pack of seniority. And I've been playing for approximately two and a half years. Wonderful. Alright, so pub etiquette. I've noticed that you know, we've got all these pub games going and there are some norms that sort of have shown up over the years that people do certain things and don't do other things, even when it's not a written rule. Although sometimes it is a written rule. And I thought we'd go through some of those. Uh, anybody have one off the top of their head they want to talk about? Well, a current one or one from the olden days? Oh, feel free to choose either. Okay, because I was not around for them, uh, but I mostly know, like, I'll say this straight up, uh, my, I don't have very much, like, I don't have a very high opinion of, like, pub as a principle, because I'm, the, what I'm most familiar with is, like, the idea of there being fairly arbitrary rules, uh, like, the one, the one that I was thinking of right now was, uh, apparently Huntress in, like, way before my time, which was the old SJ servers, uh, forbade legging, um, and they would also forbid things like, I think, running into people with the aerospace or whatever, which is, like, I mean, it just seems like something that isn't really effective, or it, or like ever really something. I mean, I, I understand that like Bows was significantly different then, but even then, it was like you weren't really accomplishing much by spending a ton of time like constantly legging people or whatever. So banning it just seems pointless. I mean, legging is incredibly rude. <laughs> yeah, but you're also gimping yourself, so to an extent. I like to I like think. To- that that was another era, an era where there was LBX 40 ASF with the maneuverability of Sparrowhawk to where legging was on the menu more often and could have been a lot shittier than these days when legging is tactically inadvantageous unless you're playing some big brain mind games. And, and I think that's exactly the point is that Legging is tactically advantageous. So if you're doing it, you're doing it to spite somebody. There's no reason to leg somebody for a tactical advantage. There is, absolutely. If Also, if you happen to like accidentally hit somebody in the leg, are you just going to be like, well, I'm going to sacrifice all this damage? Uh, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> so it's... I mean, it's kind of... It just seems kind of silly and artificial. Like at, at present, like I just don't feel like there are that many pub etiquette rules other than like don't flame your teammates. Like, like this is be a, be a nice person. Uh, like, is that a rule? Though? people. I mean, actually, I would say that is probably one of the few written rules of pub etiquette because you will get banned from twelfth if you are a flaming 
expletive. So, yeah, that's news to me. I, oh boy, what it's do you been mean done by shooting with flamethrowers, or do you mean with like uh, no in the chat Be- yes. being a horrible individual? No, I mean no. I when I say don't be a horrible individual, that's what I mean. That's like the only thing that's like written down. That doesn't even really like. I don't think that's really pub etiquette as as like you know human etiquette. Yeah, and I mean the person. enforcement on that is not. Well, that's the what strongest. we're here to discuss the unwritten rules because anyone can yeah. look at the written rules and say, "Oh, that's what's going on." Some of the Don't unwritten know. rules, well, there's flying with ping like five thousand, oh, which yeah, is not that. an exaggeration. The other week we had an Australian player who joined with a solid five thousand ping, which, if my math is correct, ping is measured in milliseconds, right? Yes. So 5,000, isn't that like, is that either five seconds or a half second? I believe that would be on uh, five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. I mean, yep. the written recommended limit is 200. There, yeah, there is, a, there is actually um, a written rule for that as well, which is like, okay, don't fly aerospace over 200 ping, I think it is. And I mean, if, if you're warping. below 200 ping and you know you're rubber banding. Yeah shouldn't because of udp routing being really weird occasionally people are warping and they won't always know it but yeah also a bit of like an edge case where it's kind of more it's more along the lines of like the game is literally unplayable for people or for the people who are trying to play against you but that is very like i don't know if that really counts as etiquette versus like here's something that just completely breaks the whole game like on a mechanical level I know that uh, when well, I'm not playing, using really mechanics to do. or mechanics breaking down, I, I think that'd fall under etiquette. Because if you want to be an unpleasant player and not have fun and make other people not have fun, there's a lot of options at your disposal, uh, given the jank that's built into this game. I know that when I'm flying, I pretty regularly, like before I take my plane out in the first place, I check my ping. And then once I start flying, uh, after I get a kill and fly up to a safe altitude again, I, I might check my ping again. Uh, especially if like I'm doing really, really well and have, have taken no return fire, I check my ping. If it's, if it's suspicious how little return fire you're taking, that's, it's a definite possibility that that's the reason. Yeah, it's probably just you got a pub of newbies. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, good ASF players can dive into a battle and not take much damage. All I gotta do to check my ping though is just uh, you know, tab uh hit tab for like a second. And so Yeah, it's, it's one button away if it's not a bad idea. Um well uh you were speaking uh Direwolf about uh some of the older rules. There were a couple older rules I remembered. Um one was you know besides no legging there was also a rule about when you were allowed to use aircraft at all. They actually uh, had a, I think it was 420 ME, who was formerly one of the uh, community managers for Wandering Samurai, had this rule that um, you would only ever take an aircraft if there were at least six players on the other team. Yeah, yeah. I can remember this one. That's an interesting one. Yeah, it makes sense. I think. I mean, I that's because, a, sorry, go ahead, Yeah, well, actually, I suppose also might be different. I never played with the old flight model, so 
but I, I feel like it's like kind of thinking like of the current balance. It seems like it would kind of make sense because like the way that air, the way that you counter airspace is like you have somebody who like if an airspace pilot wants to play super safe, they can just balloon you. They can go straight up from ninety degrees on a lot of maps, and you need to have somebody from a slightly different like a slightly removed angle who can actually hit them if they're coming down at like a ninety degree angle. Otherwise, they're just like invincible. Nobody can touch them. So if you have like a very small amount of players on a team, like especially if it's in pubs and there's no voice or anything, like it's really hard to be able to like scream at somebody and be like, "Yo, please move at like an offset angle so you can shoot this airspace." And also, the player has to be good enough to actually hit them in a way that significantly damages them, etc. Oh well, how do you deal with ground targets? targets. Yeah, I've played versus starter where people take ASF immediately out of the gate by getting money from other players in like six v six pubs. And that's not a ton of fun, especially right at the beginning. So I definitely think it's a good idea to probably look at how many ASF your team has before you buy one, but I've never heard of that being a rule. Well, I, yeah, actually, actually, I think you're thinking in a, of a slightly different angle. Because on, on one, it's like, oh, they're oppressive. Like, oh, they're too annoying. Like, people can't kill them. And, the, and from your perspective, because I know that you've expressed a lot of frustration about, oh, my God, this person is buying aerospace at the beginning of the game and being useless, that's another very like valid angle. I mean, they're nerfing their team, effectively. Yeah, no, they, they if are. If you're in a Sparrowhawk. It's, 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 it's like obnoxious to play against, but also it's not very effective, which is, another, which is kind of what I eventually want to come around to. So it's like, on the one hand, it's like, well, you know, like it's really hard to counter, but also you don't really need to counter it because like a, a player who's like kind of doing ballooning memes in their starter aerospace who isn't making that much money and isn't having that much of an impact on the ground, especially if there's any kind of like cover. That's it's, not a lot of DPS between yeah. loops. It's yeah. not. So it's just, it's like another one of these things where it's like, well, I mean, I suppose it makes sense because I guess it's a bit more fun for people or, or it's less likely to end up with somebody feeling like they're constantly being ballooned forever. Uh, but it's also not like a, a really important thing and there's ways to counter it. I remember I was opinion. playing on uh, Dune. And uh, my team had five players. The enemy team had six. And so because they were up, they had more up on us and had more players, taking out that aircraft or uh, into the um, battlefield actually wasn't hurting their team so much. And uh, they were really able to take advantage of that. Oh, my gosh. That's a move I'll typically do, not as like a flex, as how you're saying it, but if teams are unbalanced just because that's what the pop is, I'll typically hop into... Or not typically, but I'll sometimes, and I've seen other people do this, as like a soft way to balance, because you can't split a player in half, I'll hop into something a little bit uh, less impactful, like Suboptimal. an aerospace. You're getting the firepower out if you're getting the firepower out of an aerospace, but you're not getting the, the capping game. So yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah, that's the one downside of aerospace not a lot of newer players recognize. They only see aerospace at its worst, because that's when it's most memorable, is when you're being profoundly dunked upon by a Shiva or a Xerxes, and they don't understand the drawbacks that are coming from, if there's something in the air, it's not on the ground capping. And ticket bleed is a real deal when it comes to terrain control. And not just ticket bleed, 5 versus 6, or X versus X minus 1 in any team fight, Mechs have a lot of damage, and missing out on one mech in just terms of damage and sharing armor, that'll turn yeah. the fight in the favor of who's got plus one more often than not. Yeah. 
it's I think it's less damage because like a good airspace pilot can actually put down the damage they need to, and like if they can do it before a fight, so that's easier for the ground targets to do so. Or if you're able to like snipe off a really important component, but the real the real disadvantage is always from armor because like if there's just fewer targets on the ground uh, for the enemy team to shoot at, it means that there's more fire being focused on each one. And, and the yeah, people that who really hurts. The people who are good enough to make an aerospace impactful generally won't be taking it in a situation where it would put their team at a disadvantage. So if you're getting an aerospace and it's putting your team at a disadvantage, more often than not, the person who's flying the aerospace isn't going to be a super vet. That's something I've heard many times before and is important to reiterate whenever you get the chance to. The best aerospace pilots are the ones that know when not to fly. Yeah, that's the most important thing to learn. If you want to get into aerospace, look at when the people you know are good at flying aren't flying. Because a big deal is knowing, is this just going to be a throw for the team getting up in the air? And that's its own big thing. Um, Have you guys done a subject on when not to fly, what is flying, etc.? We did a little bit on TC Meta, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we covered it pretty extensively on there. But uh, yeah, I know that like I've had games where the the player on my team that's currently flying is the one who's in the lead, and their high rank, the their high amount of money that they spawn in with, is being spent on getting that airplane. And so even though they're number one on the team, they're not actually contributing because the team, or in, the, in this particular case, they weren't actually contributing because. Sure, they'd blow up an enemy tank or enemy mech here or there, but we were losing on the caps pretty bad. And if they had been on the ground, they would have been able to push uh, the forward spawn that had been denied to us. Uh, They would have been able to bring an assault mech when the rest of our team was just in heavies. And the same thing with that applies with assets like like really strong support role assets. Like If you're looking at a an LRM boat, an aero boat, an ASF. If you are in the top, if you're top econ and you're taking one of those assets, you are significantly, depending on the phase of the game is, you could be significantly hampering your team's ability to hold caps and win team fights. Kind yeah. of, I, that is an, I don't want to call uh, LRM or aero boats impressive support assets, but you're correct in saying for sure if you're the highest rank member on your team, you kind of have an obligation to put your money where it matters, as in something that will affect the board. And the most board-affecting units are nine times out of the ten, depending on board state, uh, mechs. And knowing what to buy and when, putting your money to good use, maybe it's an assault mech, maybe you've got a downturn into maybe a, a big, heavier medium. But it's kind of deceptive, because you'll th- see someone climb up the ranks really quickly doing ASF stuff, and then they'll stay in there. And you've got a bunch of heavies and stuff on the ground, the other team's getting heavies and assaults. Your big anchor that should be in an assault pushing the board is still doing loop-de-loops in the air. And you can, I will say you can do both, though, in a sense. Like, if you are able to effectively force the enemy team to like start pulling anti-air assets or like pull a dedicated fighter to kill you, or if you are able to like really nuke their carries... Or you're able to nuke their back cappers, and you're able to somehow like suppress really important parts of their team, then it's okay. But as mentioned earlier, you have to know when to go ground. So when, for example, they do start throwing like fighters at you, or you see that like, oh my god, they've started buying three partisan alphas, like 
then then you, yeah, just go ground and then buy something else. But like no, knowing when to switch is the hard part. But like just simply being in the air doesn't necessarily mean you're not pulling your weight. You know, but the, it is yeah. hard so, to do so. It's interesting that you so, brought up that whole uh, the the thing about pulling dedicated anti aircraft assets because that was part of the um, rationale for the uh, for requiring six players on a side before aircraft uh, pulling aircraft back in the day was that if you have um, if you have more than or if you have fewer than six players then you can't really afford in most circumstances to bring a dedicated anti-aircraft asset you're having to you know maintain board presence all over the map with um, you know mediums and lights and stuff and if you, one of you goes and grabs the partisan bravo or the partisan alpha or something like that um, you might be too slow to really contribute to the game and so even though you are able to fend off the aircraft somewhat your team's actually losing even more because you had to take something that wasn't optimal for the current uh, state and that that uh, rule from you know from 420 ME and from way back in the day actually kind of carried over into um, the first iteration of uh, one of the first iterations of chaos march yeah, that's yeah. still around. And whenever we say, oh, this event's going to have quote unquote chaos march rules, it's a little bit of a misnomer to call partisans and riflemen uh, dedicated AA platforms. Whereas yeah, I say you'll see that plastered all over the wiki. Um, their guns work on mechs too. When yeah. you hear someone say dedicated AA, you should be thinking of fighter planes because yeah. Yeah. fighter planes can really spank something and cancel something out of the sky, countering it, basically. But once that plane's out of the air, your spare hog's not going to do a whole lot to max. And it's yeah. pretty much utterly ignorable. Even when it gets to the uh, Rasulka Alpha that's got three rack two, devastating new planes. But if there's no planes in the sky you're not making a lot of force against the ground unless they've got tons and tons of tanks and uh, hovercraft that'll suffer from your multipliers. Uh, so one thing I did want to cover, um, and I wanted uh, an opinion from each of you on this, is um, when, uh, or when do you decide to donate to other players? Uh, when I'm underbind. So like if you get um if you've got like you know seventy k and you're still buying ravens or something. Yeah, I'm donating all what I can to other players. Typically, uh, personally speaking, I'll never donate before buying because I will like to use tip more than often or not. I'll like to use all my money that I worked hard for. But I find a more impactful way to spread the money around because spreading your money around is an effective way to boost your team, which it's hilarious the amount of impact you can have just not letting your C-bills go to waste, is to keep an eye on who dies and then constantly keep checking with tab to see when the little skull disappears and they've respawned and just throw them a 10k without asking. And giving them that boost when they spawn is going to do so much more than waiting or hoping for people to ask because unfortunately 
in pubs, people don't notify you when they spawn. Organized terrain control, you'll see that a lot more often, thankfully. But in pubs, it's kind of it's almost looked down upon because it's joked about asking for spares, especially in the very beginning of the match. But asking for spares when you spawn is something I and a lot of other players look for because come mid slash late game, everybody's got a spare 10k to give, and it's just going to waste sitting there. That's gonna disappear when you die without ranking up. And it's just quite literally money going to waste. So when you're saying uh, yeah. that the money, dis- the money disappears, it's when it's when you don't have enough money saved up beyond your rank, right? Yeah, typically, unless you're... Well, f- I'm not going to say typically for a specific person, but eight out of ten deaths unassigned that happen per team will be without ranking up. And so your money, quote-unquote, gets reset. And you're not... You could have given up to how much money you had without having lost anything upon respawning because you didn't rank up or you didn't earn more. So if you died with 40K, that 40K is gone. Whereas if you died with 150K, but you were only going to be spawning with 100K, and now you spawn back in with 150K, you didn't really lose that stuff. It's only a small logistical loss instead of a big one. Yeah, it's a little bit of a distinction with the nitty-gritty. You've got to know the how the spawns and ranks and seabills work, but the simplified version is just give your money whenever you see someone respawn if you want your team to do well. The ranks and stuff, I don't want to I don't like sweating about like, oh man, I could use this 10k when I respawn, maybe I'm near a rank, blah 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 blah. Because when I respawn, I'll just ask for spares. And if I've been giving out spares, the spares come back typically in greater volume, I find. That sounds like karma. And that's a great way. Well, I wouldn't say karma. It's just, well, <laughs> if you see people and they're asking for spares and they give spares, et cetera, et cetera, the sharing comes back and you typically will have more than the 10K you lost or gave away. Um, to add on what Architect just said, I 100% agree. People are more likely to give you spares if you give them spares. So if, you're, if you know you're going to be looking for spares and you have extra money, you should give it out. To give a specific example of when I like to give out money. So often after the, the really early game, usually the first or second brawl, if you're still alive, you'll go back to upgrade. And sometimes when you do that, it's better to buy a strong medium as opposed to a clan heavy because those things just become C-bill pinatas. And so you buy, you underbuy when you upgrade and then you can give out to other people upgrading so the strength can be spread more evenly across the team and you won't have such drastic tier drops, especially if you won the first couple of fights. So that's kind of similar to what Kome was saying. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go on. And about pub etiquette, about sparing your money back in the days. There was ability to give all money that you have to other player right at the beginning of the match. About 40k at the start of the match. Well, probably mess with balance a bit. Yeah, I don't think I would. I don't think I really would want to have been around yeah. when that was a thing. 
That sounds incredibly cursed, yeah. Do we have Mad Cat memes, which we've talked about before? Something like uh, early Atlas was very common back in the days, but there was unspoken rule about not getting overtoned more than your opponent. A little bit on what Dead was Salmon Dead Salmon was saying about not hopping into an early assault or an early clan heavy, depending on your early game fight. Uh, success don't look at that as an etiquette thing it can very often be a profound throw over tunning too fast because of how the tiers work these days um and like salmon was saying spreading your money out is so much better than centralizing it not just in early game but in the grand scheme of how mech impact weighs up Two mediums on the field are going to be able to do a lot more than splitting the Seabills raw into that much heavies. And that just con- continues to uh, scale up versus you'd rather have two heavies on the field than one assault, et cetera, et cetera. And so spreading that out instead of kind of hoarding it is going to do your team a lot better. Not just that, under or overtunning early can catapult the enemy team into a snowball because of how the tiers work. Yeah. For I just just for me, like the way that I think about it is like I usually prefer to use all like I usually like give spares like when there's somebody who like I trust is asking for spares uh, and like they're asking for an asset that I know will be useful. Um like like when somebody asks oh spares for aerospace or spares for like Something like what I know what their buy order usually is, and the thing that they're usually going to buy is not really helpful for the situation. Uh, I won't really give money. Like that. So, like my, my first criterion is always like, you know, does this person need it, and do I think they'll do a better job of the money than like what I'm currently doing? Uh, and the other is just kind of like how much, like kind of what I'm going for. Sometimes I'll I'll be like slingshotting myself, where I'll be taking some small asset and like yeah, trying to abuse tiers to go up as high as possible, as fast as possible. I get something big, so then I can start having a really big impact on the team. Uh, in that case, sometimes like I'll be a little bit like more stingy with when I, I'm giving out spares. Like I'll just give ammo spares or whatever if people ask for them, but not like 10k is to somebody. Yeah. Otherwise, like uh, sometimes I'll just, if somebody's uh, throwing the game by repeatedly building uh, the same, trying to build the same aerospace over and over again, and then just ramming it into the enemy team until it dies, and they're begging for spares. That's Cuff, just going to, yep. that's just going to enable them to uh, get more, you know, get a bigger plane, and is going to exacerbate the situation, make it worse, so that yep. when their when their plane blows up, the bigger one that they bought, it's worth more tickets, it hurts your team more, and the enemies rank up more for killing it. People will do this with tanks and next to it. It's definitely not limited to aerospace. Uh, so yeah. there are there are specific players that I will be very careful about giving spares to because I know they're going to get the biggest possible thing and they are not going to be very careful with it. Uh, so I would rather not be the one to enable them. That's that's, that's usually a little, that's a little bit a harsh. Topic but. all on its own is that brings it back to etiquette is uh, the deception of being in first place on your team in terms of score. Oh yes. Because currently, the ticket contribution, tickets secured versus tickets lost per player, 
is an invisible untallied statistic. And so you may be the top scoring player on your team, but if you've get, gotten to that top score by routinely on the timer running, I don't know, Thor Deltas as fast mm-hmm. as you can into the enemy firing line, you're actually putting your team at a disadvantage because each Thor Delta costs X tickets, and each Thor Delta that dies is giving the enemy players how many amount of sea bills from damage that a Thor Delta has in yeah. hit points. And instead of, while you may be basking in the glory of first place upon your team, you're sinking your team ship by just throwing intentionally or maybe unintentionally. And uh, leading into that, um, I think one of the other things, when you see someone doing that, especially if you know they're a new player or buying an asset, which you know isn't going to help, how, what do you guys think the best way is to yell as loud as you can at your screen and just keep typing? This is where you need to be verbal. They need to learn. Yeah, I I usually try and say like, hey, like, like try and be careful about like, or I'll usually like just talk about positioning info. Like, I usually won't tell people, like, oh, you're dying too much, because that's kind of, like, even if, like, sometimes, sometimes I'll get, like, frustrated, I'm like, damn, like, there are people on my team who are throwing big assets, and this sucks. Uh, but, like, usually telling that to people usually is, like, really confrontational. So I usually, what I usually do is I just, like, give positioning advice. It's like, oh, you're, like, I think you're too far away from the rest of the team, or, like, oh, this place is, like, really remote, or we can't really help you. Things like this. Because if you, if you give that kind of information, then people are usually, like, they'll, just, they'll get better about not dying. Uh, so they'll they'll bleed less tickets, and they'll usually be in places where they need to be, and they'll be contributing more armor and firepower. And when um, sometimes when it's just like it. general, generally being naive or something, uh, you can always you can even just redirect them, uh, even if you're not necessarily helping uh, them improve for the future. Uh, let's say um, they've been bringing uh, the same crappy assault out over and over again. Oh yeah, yeah, very matters a lot. Yeah, it's like recommend something different for them to buy. Just like, oh, yeah, uh, buy this mech or asset instead. Um, we really need one of those out on the battlefield right now. I usually, uh, usually I'll do stuff like that they're already doing. Uh, like I, I, because like I, if somebody doesn't really understand a role, um, sometimes like, like people will buy brawlers and they don't really know exactly what it is they like or they'll, they'll like the feel of a gun. So they'll just like only buy assets with that gun or something. I'll try and like get them something that's a little bit more lateral to whatever they're used to, as opposed to here, like go buy this different type of asset. Um, so it's yeah, like there there are people who will just like I there are some people who I know who will just like only buy UAC twenties, uh, like new players because they're like oh my god this gun sounds so good it looks so. Good. And there's some good. people who like so I'll tell them like oh, okay, <laughs> instead there's some people who like will just like a particular mech and they'll buy it over and over again the same variant and you say yep. hey I know you like this mech, um, how about try the, a different Loki. Like this other Loki yeah. fits your playstyle better. Yeah, maybe I'll do just don't play Loki in the first place. So. <laughs> Something I like to do, particularly when I run into this, it's a very common trap for maybe midway up the competency slope of a new player is this run and gunning because they'll learn the mechanics and controls of the game before the niche meta of tickets, sea bills, and throwing and tiers, etc. A good way to negate this in a new player is to use chat, not to berate them, as I may have implied, but to say, hey, stick with me. And it really helps if you physically put yourself in their screen first 
before you say it in the chat. And that 10 out of 10 times, you've got a battle buddy. And that, regardless of if you're with someone who's throwing, being in a dedicated two mech unit will do so much for the board, no matter what you're doing or no matter what the game state is. So that's also a great way to kind of put a hiccup in front of someone dedicated to sitting in the respawn timer as long as possible. The most egregious way that this comes up, though, is with aerospace, because when someone gets in this gotta go fast, gotta get back to the respawn timer as fast as possible mindset, and aerospace can enable that like no other asset, because it can get to the fight faster than anything else, and it can gun things down and has a lot of punch, but it also inordinately has a lot of tickets tied to each aerospace death. Or rather, it's easier to die fast in aerospace, even if like the number of tickets for each aerospace isn't that high. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a good that's part, a good of, it, part of it, is aerospace are disproportionately very easy to swat out of the flat, out of the sky if you don't know what you're doing. And I think you said something that was really valuable in there about get, if you want to improve the effectiveness of a player who you who may be newer, then one of the best things you can do is stick with them. Like even if they may not focus the same target as you, like you said, having two mechs in the same spot is just going to improve their effectiveness so much. And if you're yeah. a newer person or you may not feel as confident about your solo brawling abilities, if you pick someone who's doing well and follow them, you will probably do better yourself. Yeah, for sure. Like just having being around and sharing armor and like getting like getting used to how they position like how other people position organically. And also letting them draw aggro for you so you can get damage um, and you can get tons of seabills and points that way. It's good. Yeah, that's advice that's often reiterated because it's great advice. If you're a new player, not just look at the top scoring person and follow them. Find anyone and follow them. If you see a new player unknowingly throwing and feeding, intervene. You can make, you can make a difference in this new player's life. If you see a vet that should know better, that's when you can get in chat and get salty. Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> so I'm looking at the, our topics, and another one that's on the list is uh, when should you switch teams? That's a that's a question that many people answer very differently. Um, I'm sure that's the reason why it's this topic. <laughs> do yeah. we want to do a round robin here and just sure. everybody give? Yeah. Okay, I'll start. Um, I'll switch teams once I've told the enemy team I'm switching. I've told my team I'm switching. And usually if there's a particularly egregious um, ticket or player count difference. But I won't switch into a, to make a plus three team. I won't do that. Even if they're up, even if we're up 200 tickets, I don't think you should switch to make a plus three team. But that's my opinion. Okay, I guess I can go next. I think I basically adhere to almost exactly the same thing, where I'll pretty much only ever switch if it's like not a super egregious population. Uh, like if there's some kind of population imbalance, uh, or if there's like some super egregious like 200 ticket plus difference. But again, I yeah, it's really, really obnoxious. Even if you're up like a lot, 
to play against a team that has like three or four more players. Uh, the other difference also, I think for me is that like, if I'm ever like the top of my team is scoreboard and like, I'm the one who's like doing all the coordination. Like if I, if I like look at my, if I press tab, for example, and I see like, okay, there's like one or two other experienced people on this team. Maybe everybody else here is like mostly just kind of going with the momentum of the game. And if I were to leave, there'd be nobody like making calls. There would be nobody drawing aggro. Then like, I'll usually ask somebody else to switch because I feel like it could potentially go really bad. Um, Better to leave, and also because like you can't always predict when, like if if like for example a good player joins or a veteran joins and is like oh I'm not going to join the team that's up by 200 or that's up by much players, like that team will just like collapse, and it I'll, I'll usually just like if if it's like if I'm if we're up a bunch of tickets a bunch of above a bunch of players or whatever and it's like that I'll usually just do something that's like I'll, I'll kind of like experiment to do something a little bit weird but I won't usually switch teams. That's a good point to mention is if you're the anchor, quote unquote, and like you've got the lion's share of the C bills from damage done slash kill confirms, switching teams is just going to make things flip and then turn even worse for whatever team you've abandoned. Um, preempting and contextualizing this entire thing of uh, when to switch teams or not is kind of the etiquette implied of if there's a C bill, not C bill, what is it? A ticket difference of, say, 100 or more, or maybe there's one team that's up a bunch of players, it's typically frowned upon to join the team that's already winning by leaps and bounds. That's, that's not something that's going to garner a bunch of smiles and nods. It's typically good etiquette when you first boot up and join a game to say, okay, this team is down by a substantial amount of tickets and or one player or more, that's the one I should hop on. So hit tab. And it's more fun that way, honest yes, to goodness. Press tab. Joining an easy win game, you're not going to be challenged as much versus fighting uphill and having your skills tested. And that's something not a lot of players, a lot of players, a lot of, a lot of the time I'll see, and it makes me salty every time, People will hop in and say, I just want an easy win. I'm just here to have fun. And that makes me sad because you're not supposed to have fun here. You're supposed to win. (laughs) I'm switching when uh, I'm not top scoring in my team. And uh, also someone asks uh, someone to switch teams. Yeah, that's a good time to do it. If someone asks, then you should look at yourself and be like, am I anchoring or... Can I make this a more pleasant game because they just lost their anchor or something? And oh, I, just just to reiterate this, always communicate when you're going to switch. Yes. Like some of my least favorite memories with switching are being on a team that's up by maybe one or two players, and then having five people switch to the other team. Ooh, yeah. This yeah. this has happened. Good. Good. Yes. It's, sometimes it's not even an exaggeration. There are multiple times where I can remember that there would be like four people who would switch, and a lot of them would be, like, the good players. So it's yeah. just like, ah, uh, this is bad. Good Typically, players it's are, the good players that know when to switch and, and will respect. respect. The best players are there because they want to have a good time. And having a good time typically is not having a stomp, and so they'll be the ones to switch. And like you said, when you have all the good players from one team switch spontaneously because they all had the bright idea, oh man, this game's getting a little tilted in favor of one side. Communication. That's something I'd honestly not thought about could 
have stopped that, I guess. Um, personally, when I like to switch is uh, when it's an obnoxious difference of maybe like when it gets into the 200s, that's a good time, I feel, regardless of player balance, is I like to see the tickets within 100, 150. That's achievable. That's like one or two team fights and knowing how to hold the bases. When it gets above that, then it's like, okay, maybe there's a skill discrepancy here. Maybe there's a vet stack, blah, 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 blah. And or if there's a specific player who is fun to play against or will just get really salty, it's fun to swap against them. So I found that um, when uh, if, if nobody said anything about switching teams, occasionally I'll look up at the, the tickets and see that, say, my team's way ahead. And I'll hit tab and I'll look at the score of my players, see how many kills they have. Like, do they have way more kills than the enemy? This isn't, you know, none of these stats individually indicate that I need to switch. It's like all these things to coming together that tell me whether or not I should switch. And so I'll look at the score and maybe, maybe it's a little bit, um, maybe it's just barely getting into the mid game and my team has 10 kills and the other team has a grand total of one kill after you account for suicides. Um, and that's like, <laughs> that's so sad. And so maybe they're not down on that many tickets, but they are probably losing pretty badly in the the in terms of economy. So that's when I type exclamation point team stats. And I usually put it in team chat, not into the uh the public chat, because uh you know, only one team really needs to see it. I don't I don't always wanna uh telegraph that I'm l- looking to switch. I'll type in exclamation point team stats, hit enter, and then take a look. And it'll tell me um, the average rank among the top players on each team. And if there's a, say, anything greater than a one and one and a half point difference uh, in those ratings, because those ratings usually go from, what, like one to ten or so. But if there's more than a one and a half point difference, then I'll probably consider switching if I'm doing well. Now, if I'm doing poorly... Um, uh, like if, uh, let's say my team is doing well, but I'm doing poorly, then I'll maybe ask somebody else on my team to switch. And I mean, now that you've, you've brought up, um, commands, I feel like something I should mention while the theme is etiquette, don't spam load map next map. Oh God. If you're not happy oh, yes. with the map that it's on, we get That's it. That's a good segue you to, think we could just spend the rest of the podcast talk. talking about this. Yeah, <laughs> but please don't. <laughs> a, a handful of players are known for their judicious requests of load map, particularly when they happen to be at a ten ticket disadvantage or two or three kill disadvantage on their team, and or that's are just playing versus a better player, or. Yes, or when you want to reshuffle the teams to innocuously shoulder-shoulder up to a better player so you can have another easy win. Uh, 
that's just a little bit obnoxious. And again, something that's, you think you're smug and sly, but people are watching and it's kind of really stupid. Um, a good time to load slash swap map, that's even when it's like a 300 ticket lead or something, some people, that's where I disagree with a lot of people. Honest to goodness, I like to fight up, not personally, but it's like, if it's just a gigantic stomp, let it play out. Per I think that it should just play out because if it's a gigantic stomp, it's going to be over soon enough anyways. And it also gives an opportunity for the newer players slash vets to learn how to capitalize on mistakes and turn a losing game around. There has been, it's not a terribly rare occurrence, there has been recoveries from 300, 400, 500 ticket leads. Maybe not 500, I think you only start with 500. There's been large ticket recoveries, and that's something that's really fun to play into, is when the other team gets a hilarious disadvantage, or hilarious advantage, gets all high and tidy in their assaults. And then they throw. That's really fun being the underdog and making a mean comeback. And it's even more fun when it's actually organic and not from the headache of team switching and some of that's joined late, et cetera, et cetera. So. I'd rather try to fix uh, like a major imbalance with a few uh, player swaps than completely shuffling the teams by doing a load map. And that brings about complete other problems like uh let's say you're in the mid game and uh you're almost starting to get into the late game and your team is finally getting some heavies out there what a big disappointment for all the players that have been you know they put in the 25 minutes it took to get into those heavy mechs and now because the ticket imbalance is too high you're saying Let's just switch to the next map. I mean, that's miserable. That's a, that's a good note. Uh, that's a good note to say, not to all the vets, but all the marginally competent people. It may be easy to meme your way into an early Mad Cat just locusting around, but I remember it was in general chat on the Discord earlier, like, uh, uh, how to get into a Mad Cat for dummies. I'd buy that book. A lot of new players or people who don't dedicate their lives to mech warrior who spend the majority of their time in a medium or shitty is heavy and they look at clan heavies as like a, a glorious treat and you're taking that away from them because it takes them 25 minutes to get into a mad cat so, so you should be considerate of those people as well and not just them the 25 minutes for a mad cat is 25 minutes for an assault for someone else and you're kicking them in the face too yeah, honestly, I've very rarely have I ever seen a load map or a next map succeed more than five to ten minutes into a match. Like the use for load map or next map is when you load into Warzone with eight people. Okay. Yeah. Or Forsaken at any population. Or Bogs of any population. Hard to disagree with both. Bogs is great. Sure. Get it here? Um, yeah, actually, there are, there are a lot of people who will load map not for nefarious reasons, but purely just for the purpose of, oh, I don't like this map, so I'm going to spam load map because I really don't want to play here. Um, but I, I think like th there are some people who will do the things that we talked about earlier, but for the most part, I think it's just like people who will just be like, I'm, I'm 
really frustrated and I want to play the pub game because there's only one pub game and I don't want to be on this map. But it's still really aggravating for everybody involved to have to like sit there while they're screaming in team chat trying to get a load map. So it's, it's team just screaming for everybody. is annoying. The server banner chat. in front of your face is annoying. And do know, on the off chance your load map does somehow fire off, Every other load map, you're more or less guaranteed to lose one or two players on map load because some yeah. some people will be like, well, I was already going to log off for the night and here the maps ended. I lost my 25-minute Mad Cat. I'm out of here. So Most? count on the pop getting smaller if you want to load a map. You've yep. always got the option to just tough it out no matter what map you're on. Learning something new and getting used to another environment, that's never a bad thing either. Unless it's bogs. bogs yeah, most really people switch at the end of a map. So think about that when you're load mapping in the middle of a game. Yeah, that's that's really it. Too many, too many servers that have died because somebody's like, oh, I don't want to play this map. Yeah, yeah. I honestly can't really think of other things that bother me in pubs more than that. It's basically just, just people who are constantly like yelling about maps. Obsessive <laughs> or, chat warrior. That too, I suppose. But even then, I can usually just ignore them or mute them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just for anybody out there, um, if you press tab, the same thing we've been talking about to look at score, and then press space bar. Next to everybody's name, there's a microphone symbol. If they're being not very nice in chat, Click on that button and you won't hear from them again. You will not. Yeah, it's wonderful. Glorious feature. The preferred method of dealing with chat warriors is to find them on their pitiful LRM hill and spank them because if they're typing, they're not playing. Yeah, there aren't very many that people who have the uh, super speed type ability to <laughs> type while playing effectively. Plotting raccoon. Yeah. The, <laughs> I forgot who it was. I think it was Buff Skeleton who said he has magic hands, and I think that is like I just can't get rid of that image because it's it's very true. He dri- he drives very fast assets and is still able to constantly make callouts like while he's playing hovers. Like every time I see him, like I know that like he is instantly like he has told the entire team where I am. <laughs> like despite the fact he's still moving, like sometimes you can tell like when somebody's like oh suddenly they stop moving because they're like making a callout. But with him, I can never tell. I just know that I know they're going to know. Suspicious. He's got keybinds mapped to every frequently playing player. Uh, <laughs> they're all spotted. Echo four key map. He does assets more than players. But yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to, just to talk about something that was brought up there. If you play well and participate with your team and are a good, just a good team player, people will remember you. Like. It's a small community. Like, what you do and how you behave isn't forgotten. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, shitters are just kind of recognized, and there is a little bit of infamy that comes with it that some people may unfortunately be attracted to. But at the end of the day, you're not going to have a good time if people don't like you. Uh, going back to spares, you're not going to get spares if everybody hates you because they know you're going to just be... Uh, dumb in aerospace and or dumb in doing whatever the heck you else are you doing or maybe you want to sit down and have a good time but previous matches you flamed everybody and so you're not going to get spares people aren't going to follow you around in battle or maybe 
people are going to be like, oh, hey, there's Direwolf. He was a real pain in the neck last time. I'm going to focus him down. And <laughs> my entire team will remember Direwolf from being a flaming, flamer, whatever the heck, games ago. And they'll focus you down. And you're going to have even less fun that way. Um, so uh, when it comes to donations and asking for spares, uh, do you think it's helpful to tell people what the spares are for? Always. If I'm, if I'm do, suspicious yeah. that they're going to be used for like ELRMs, arrows, um, ASF, not that those aren't valid playstyles, but I'll ask. But if you tell me what you're going to buy, like 3K for a Massacari Prime, I'm far more likely to give it to you just offhand if I have no idea who you are. If you're suspicious, I wouldn't give spares in the first place. A little bit of the idea of choosing and giving spares on the timer, quote-unquote, when someone's respawning. Direwolf got into this a little bit, but knowing who to give spares to on the timer, if you're looking to boost your team, just choose to give maybe 10k on the timer to the top half of your scoreboard. You can never really go, well, you can, but most of the time you won't be going wrong randomly choosing some person on the top half of your scoreboard and giving it to them on respawn. Here's on that a, note, if a competent player late joins, you should also give to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm still giving uh, 10k for novice players, so they can uh, take any asset which they like and contribute with it. Yeah, uh, I know that, Like for a lot of newbies, they're maybe they've been uh, playing for a while and they're still just stuck in the same light mechs that they started with and they just haven't been able to get into anything bigger. And even though it isn't necessarily um, as good for your team because they might buy something that they're then going to lose and it'll blow up, um, yeah, it's nice to get them into something bigger. I guess a really good way of being able to tell whether or not uh, something is good or whether it's good to donate to somebody like that is just see like if they have, you know, negative two kills and 14 deaths, please. No, even if they're a novice, don't donate 10 K, but it maybe they have two deaths and zero kills. That's, that's maybe a good candidate to help them out. Let them uh, actually experiment a little in an actual competitive environment instead of expecting them to go to uh what do you call that? The uh, free testing server. Yeah, anyone with a negative number in their kills spot, be suspicious. It could be an aerospace main. So your spares are better, better kept and wasted than better kept than wasted on aerospace. Another uh, thing with I the, mean, um, donations is if you receive a donation, please don't give it back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times I've been a battle armor and desperately trying to get rid of my cash. Uh, I'll, I'll say something like who needs my cash or who can take, who can take my cash. And nobody's nobody says anything. It's very frustrating. I'll then just randomly donate it to somebody and then they donate it right back to me. And I'm like, no, stop it. Don't donate it to me. Now you're I both die. on timer and no money is significantly changed hands. Yeah. Well, at least you could buy some more SRM with it. Right. <laughs> If only they would load back in. You always have to remember, yeah, I, I know that like uh, whenever I go buy ammo for a battle armor, 
to uh, fire my SRMs twice to get them to start reloading uh, if I've fired all the ones I had before. Because if they're completely empty, um, you can only buy, what, six SRMs? And But if you buy six, fire twice, you'll load up two more SRMs, and then you can buy two more for a total of eight. Going back to what Kume has said on specifically giving spares to newbies or new friends, um, I don't enjoy giving spares to them, but what I will try to do whenever the opportunity arises, very often you'll be returning to base from maybe a couple of good skirmishes in a bushwhacker, and you've got enough C-bills to sell your bushwhacker into a good heavy, good clan heavy, or maybe an assault. And you're not going to do that anyways, because that's not what the board is asking for. Instead, if I see a painfully obvious new player, it's often a good play to hop out of your mech or communicate this ahead of time, but to give that player your mech. Because A, they would not have been able to afford that in the first place. And B, you're not putting them into the onus of looking through the intimidating catalog of mechs at your disposal. And you've pre-selected something that you know is good, and they're probably going to have to learn how to use anyways eventually. And you can use then their old mech and sell it and get into something, or just use whatever amount of seabills you had left and buy something anyways in the price bracket you were going to be hunting for. But I've given away a couple rack atlases to great avail because those players would not have already gotten into it and having someone in that asset is something that's typically good for the team in terms of um that brings up something uh that i was thinking about and uh, that i actually did today is uh what do you do when you're about to quit um and you're like a high-ranked player on your team Usually, like this, this actually happens to me a disappointing amount where I'll have to leave during a game. Sometimes I'm in like I'm in like a Fafnir. What I usually do Ooh. is I, I announce the position. This just a very specific example. You'll have to forgive me. Um, I'll announce where I am. I'll say I'm gonna I'm I have to leave. Who wants this? Come and get it. And then I power down and get out. Don't eject, especially if you're in a fresh mech, because if you eject, they're gonna have to take your mech. All the way back to base to repair your head to avoid getting head capped. I know with me, uh, like if let's say I've just died and the phone's starting to ring and I, I need to go. Well, not the phone ringing, but like uh, maybe uh, I just died and I'm gonna be late to my meeting or something. I will actually uh, pretty quickly buy a mech at main, get into it hop out of it and then tell everybody that there's a free assault mech or a free heavy mech back at base because it, when my team loses let's say I were on the I were the top player when my team loses the top player that can be really bad for them if if they were already really far ahead that's not so bad but if maybe the maybe the teams are pretty comparable or maybe my team was way behind um if I don't buy them that mech that's going to mean that uh, they're going to be down on tons. You know, they're uh, on the field. They're not going to have the mechs, the assets, whatever, to contend with the enemy's ranks. Yeah, that's always a good idea to mitigate the loss of 
having to abandon your team midway through a fight, which always feels bad, especially if you're really invested in it. But uh, yeah, buying something or giving away what you've already got is always better than just vanishing. Especially, don't vanish if you're in the middle of a fight, like your phone rings and it's like, okay, goodbye Fafnir as in, goodbye match, have fun. Uh, just, just right before we get too far away from new players and sending spares, if just on the topic of being a nice person, if somebody needs spares to repair their mech, really, you should probably just give it to them. Yeah. Even if they made a really poor choice of what mech to buy, it's still good to help them repair. <laughs> yeah, that's not just a newbie play. Uh, or it's not just newbies who will have to do a repair cycle before earning enough to afford it. Very often, a vet in a very important asset will make a wrong turn or be jumped and barely make it out alive before having put out a significant amount of damage. So giving spares for repairs is probably one of the highest priority uh, reasons to give spares out. That and ammo is probably second. Yeah, just, it's it's also it's one of these things where like you don't really have any. There's like there's pretty much no question that what you're giving your spares for will be useful. Like if you're giving for ammo, because that's basically some you're basically like instantly doubling the combat effectiveness or whatever combat life of whatever asset you're giving your money to. And repairs is just like these people probably won't be leaving the hangar if they don't if they're not repaired, for example, or if they can't afford to be active in combat for more than thirty or forty seconds. Yeah, every second that you delay Always donating good. to them is another second that they aren't out on the battlefield. Yeah, either that they aren't in the hangar or when they're on the battlefield, they'll have to go back to rep cycle because they have like no armor left or they have no ammo. Yeah, heaven forbid you make someone unnecessarily downtown because they're in something too damaged to even survive one volley, or you force them back into the field and they just die after having waited on the repair pad for... 45 seconds. Yeah, Dan, like if they've already spent a little bit of money repairing their Fafnir and they're asking for spares to repair and no, they never get them and they have to sell their Fafnir, a damaged Fafnir sells for a bit, but if you're already at zero, that's, that's not going to sell for enough to buy even uh, some of the more expensive light mechs, I bet. I think a damaged Fafnir is actually like not a terrible place if to you're be. you're in the 140 like, Fafnir, you're going to get... 80k, if depending on how damaged it is. Yeah, because you can get a medium or something, but but even if you don't sell, like a damaged assault mech is still like a massive presence on the battlefield, so you can still manipulate aggro. You can still put down a lot of firepower, even if you're being like a coward, like and just start peeking occasionally. Just then, it's not the wor- I think it's never it's like not the worst thing if you can't get all of your armor back. It's like really bad if you're like in some middle tier asset. I think where you're like in a a sheep bushy or like a chimera or whatever, where like oh shit, I lost an arm or I have no armor left, so if I show up, I'm going to die in 10 seconds, like or less. As soon as I appear, I'm just going to get gibbed by something. And it's going to take me a while to get all my money back, and if I sell, I'm not going to be able to buy anything. And I basically have to suicide. Like, that's the worst. Um, so one of the questions I had um, was, uh, and I, I already have uh, some thoughts on it that I'll go over first. Um, and it's, uh, are closer games better than games that are more stompy. Um, and 
my my thoughts on that are that is that uh, games that go longer, even though it can be kind of grindy a little bit sometimes, and uh, it provides an opportunity for newer players to play for long enough to potentially actually buy the heavy mechs that they want. Um, and so if you uh, try to end a game more quickly by doing uh, by letting it be a stomp, then um, then the result is that some of those players might not even get a chance to be in those bigger mechs. Uh, I'm sure there's other advantages and disadvantages to this. Uh, any thoughts? I think more dynamic games are interesting, are more interesting. Like, it's not really a matter of, like, how long they go. It's just, like, is there a chance for interesting things to happen in this game? And usually closer games are one that are more back and forth. Like, you'll have people who are making interesting pushes or who need to find something to put them over the edge. Like, that's usually a lot more engaging to be in, like, as a player. And less stress, or it's, it'll, it might be more stressful than, like, a stompy game because it's like, oh, okay, we're going to win, I don't have to do anything, or, oh, we're going to lose, I don't have to do anything. Uh, but it's just more stimulating, I guess. I prefer having games like that, playing that way. You know, so uh, we mentioned, like, switching teams as a way to uh, change the balance. But I was just thinking, and thinking of another thing. Uh, like, Architect was saying that, like, when his team's way ahead or something, he might switch to some sort of asset that doesn't contribute as much to the battle. And I do that, too, sometimes. Like, uh, when I'm the top of my team and my team's doing really well, I'll look through the list... Um, I'll look through the list of mechs in the buy menu and try to pick something I've never picked before. Uh, I'll even uh, look up myself on um, uh, Stick Stats um, on uh, Rick the Sticks website and uh, see like what are some things that I've never driven before. And I'll take that out because I can learn something by playing it and. I probably won't contribute as much to my team as my go-to try-hard mechs. Yeah, there's everyone's got their own, or eventually learns their own collection of crutch mechs that they can lean on to have a more or less easy win. Um, in regards to why, if closer games are better or not, I feel like a lot or a few. Vets, unfortunately, or not just vets, just people who play a lot, unfortunately, will kind of look and glorify the 0-0 win or, or the close 10-ticket difference end-of-match state more than is actually fun in the sense of, like, if you're obsessing over having a balanced game more than just balanced teams... And, you know, you're having someone yeah. swap back and forth. It's like, oh, we got to have a balance. We've got to have a balance. That kind of detracts from it because it's like any advantage you actually accrue in the match is immediately offset by someone swapping because it's like, oh, my balance. And it's that can detract. I would, I would personally much rather have a match, stomp or not, of two static teams of more or less equal skill. If it's a stomp of more or less equal skill from the enemy, I know I've earned it, and it's not just one of those happenstance vet stacks that happen, or happenstance throws that also happen. And this is partially why uh, organized terrain control is so much fun, 
there's a lot less random newborns filtering in and you've got more or less balanced teams from the get-go, a stomp in organized train control is not just as fun, but is also fun. And a close game is also fun as well. But the most important thing is that you're having an engaging match with players of more or less equal skill level. And if you make the bad moves and you earn a loss, that's just going to happen sometimes. And obsessing over balance and being screaming about teams in team chat or all chat because you've been playing bad, sometimes you've just got to accept, uh, we had a throw. Let's write it out. Yeah. The thing is, like, determining where that line is. Like, knowing that, oh, you know, our, our skill, like, being able to determine that both teams have similar skill balance is not is like not easy to figure out. Like even when you've been playing the game for a long time and you know a ton of players, like like you know if you ask somebody, you know, how do you quantify or or, rather, or even if you can't quantify, like how do you consider like how like evenly balanced teams are like in terms of skill? Like that's not an easy thing to know. Like I, I also just I do want to clarify. I also think it's really obnoxious when people like switch constantly to try and maintain like a super close game. Um, like it is much more interesting if you have two teams that are like that have uh, you know a great deal of continuity, so they're both able to so you're able to like kind of determine the character who you're fighting against and who your teammates are, um, and like you know, that, that or rather the character of the game, like how it progresses and what kind of decisions you make, and it feels like they all have consequences. Um, yeah, but sometimes you just kind of don't really get there because one team will have like a lot of players who are just way better, like either mechanically or like in terms of map decisions, than the other one. So it's like. There was uh, something that happened today um, on Extremity uh, just before we started recording this podcast that I recall where um, my team was down on tickets and we were going to lose, but I wanted to try to win. Um, And we came very close to winning, but it wasn't fair at all. It wasn't because we switched like one player or something. It's because they, uh, they stacked my team. So my team had, I think at one point, three more players than the other team. And that that was unnecessary. And it wasn't really fun to almost come to a win. Uh, you know, it, having a comeback is really only fun if you were able to do it at least somewhat on your own merit and not by some sort of really janky game mechanic. And in this case, it was because uh, the server can only handle 28 players and there were 15 players on my team. And there's no way an additional player joining the server is going to end up on the other team because no additional players can join the server. That's just not fair. Yeah, that's definitely... Uh, Daryl was right. It's really hard to draw the fine line, but there is also a lot of cases of people trying to extend the match just for the sake of having a long match at whatever cost. That's not fun because it reduces the weight of your decisions and it kind of pulls the character out of the match because it's just people hopping around for its own sake. And like you were saying, if you're at a disadvantage or you're behind on tickets, if you have the teams reshuffle to where you've got a tremendous advantage because you had their carry or their top rank player swap over to your team. Even if you win, is that really your win of your own merit? Can you really bask in that victory? It does steal the thunder from having the really rewarding underdog victory or punishing one of their bad plays. 
I do because, gotta, yeah. because it can be really entertaining though sometimes when let's say it's uh, 14 v 14 and um, uh, it's a big stomp one team's 300 tickets ahead and maybe the number one or number two player from the winning team hops over onto my team the losing team and actually starts to carry us uh, a little bit and the rest of us do better it's kind of cool to see them have to fight their own team but that's different than you know than like these really unfair advantages where you've got like 15 players on one team and 13 players on the other yeah that's yeah, that's, that's, that's a different, different case than what yeah. i was thinking of the top 4 of the winning team hop onto the losing team and somehow turn the game around and everybody <laughs> cheers surprise. because it's an underdog, it's an underdog victory. victory. Yeah, just just to kind of summarize here, close games are fun. Close games are worth striving to create. We need to be careful not to create horrifically terrible games in our quest to have fun games. Yeah. For the sake of closeness alone, that's where I, I branch uh, no, off. I don't, I don't really care about the end result as long as at the start and majority and duration of the match, it's equal-ish skill levels between the players. But that's kind of hard to determine for yeah. now when, until we get Rick the Stick's ELO system and we'll have numeric some judgments players, of how good people are. Soon yeah, some TM. players aren't always consistent, too. The only acceptable stat is score per ticket loss. Score per ticket loss ELO balance. Weighted oh by number of games played over the past thirty days. <laughs> Easy to code. Can, 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 can we can we see what the effect of having certain other players on my team is for my ELO score, please? Thank you. <laughs> you play this percent play better this. when this other player is on is on the same team as you, and you play this percent better when this player is on the other team. That would actually be a really interesting stat. Because there are players I know I do a lot well with because it's like, okay, I've got Rick, the other Rick Hunter. Whenever I start the match with him, it's like, okay, I kind of get the grasp of Rick's play style. And I know if I take the heavy machine gun Locust and we just start charging in, he's going to be a reliable, smart gun that's not going to just instantly poof right next to me. And so we always win the first team fight whenever that happens. And if there are other players a lot like that. It's like, okay, I recognize Erasmus. If he's right next to me and we need to push, if I start pushing in, he's not just going to back away and be like, oh, I need to get ammo right now. So recognizing players and seeing statistics related to that would be pretty interesting. But the HMG though just doesn't need any help. Rent really, yeah, I don't know how much you can really quantify those types of things. I don't know, some reverse inverse correlation there's some statistical nonsense that can make some graph look pretty. Don't know. Right, well, we've I've got just a few minutes left. about it when. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we've just got a few minutes left here. Um, so, uh, of the um, oh yeah, so I guess one, the last thing that's on here. There's two things that I wanted to cover. Um, don't shoot your friends, even if you're mad. Yeah. I think that's pretty intuitive. The only time I think I shoot... Don't waste their armor. I think the only time I shoot somebody on my own team on purpose anymore is when somebody is actively trying to kill me that's on my team. 
Uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the time then. when that happens, it's because people think you're no driver. Like, they're, almost every time I've been shot by somebody, it's because they think I'm an enemy yeah. because I'm no driver for them. Mm, yeah. There's most of the time I get... For those get, not in the know, there is a persistent glitch where your mech will show up with no namespace above it, and sometimes typos. It will have no namespace above it and show no indication of whose team it's on. Yep. So the assumption is that it's the enemy team. Oh yeah, unless always, you're paying close attention to the reticle. I which always start by saying stop. Well, yeah, but sometimes they, well because they can't see your name, they can't like know who it is that's saying it. So I'll <laughs> say like I'll usually just be like, yo, if you're shooting at the Rio like or the Rio or the Madcat or whatever, like whatever asset I'm in, I'm on your team, please stop. And then sometimes they'll get it. Yeah. Other times you just suffer. Yeah, but usually it's people who are fairly new, and they're they'll do something like it'll they'll be like BAM gunning you, or yeah, I think probably well, oh I think the most memorable was an Owens that was a friendly Owens that was tagging me, <laughs> hitting me with medium lasers. So that was um, something. Yeah, there's not, yeah. If there's someone being jerky and like a pain in the neck, we've nowadays got pretty reliable uh, call to an admin that will with most admin calls, resolve any conflicts where you don't need to resort to asserting your dominance with friendly fire. So, so nowadays, nowadays, if there's something there's really, something pressing, really to pressing to where you to feel it. like, oh man, I really got to put this guy in line, they're probably breaking some rule. Or otherwise, if they're not breaking yeah. any rules, you're just being a pansy and need to suck it up. So uh, I would... Another uh, piece of uh, uh, etiquette stuff that I wanted to cover, which I just thought of, uh, uh, is uh, you've got an airplane that's maybe never taken off yet. Uh, maybe it's it's been it's landed for a while, it's repairing, um, and it's one of those maps where the lambs base lambs don't work quite right for preventing uh, or from preventing bombs. How do you feel about shooting planes that are have been landed for a while on the runway? My my personal I don't do my yes, personal do thing is I don't do it, but I understand that other people are going to. What I don't fly ASF, are you talking about? But I would do that. Well, one also also ASF turrets like base turrets now are so unbelievably strong against airspace. Like it, it, there are not many situations where you will be able to do this unpunished. So if you're diving somebody's airspace, you're usually not going to make it out alive, and you decide to do it because it's worth the tickets. Wait, Kentax, are you talking about an enemy aerospace that's parked on the enemy runway? No, it, it would... Yeah, yeah, so if there's an en- enemy aerospace oh, okay. and they're parked on their yeah. own runway. I thought you were like, okay, okay, there's a friendly AFK aerospace, do you shoot it? What are you talking no. about? No, no, if there's an enemy aerospace that's parked on the runway, um, dive at your own risk, because now base turrets are super buff, and there's very few maps with very without base turrets. They fixed Ring of Fire, thank God. Um... There's some planes that have really long range uh, artillery, or not artillery, weaponry. I'm thinking of the Light Goss Corsair. Maybe if they're just landed for repairs and you want to get a snib, you could swing in, get that one snib, and pull off before the base lasers like evaporate you. I've seen other people bombing, do it. With, um, so I've seen uh, somebody do it with uh, cluster bombs from high elevation. Uh, but it only works. Is when cluster the, bomb range 1k or is it greater? Because I know with light goss you can do 1250 
And if cluster bombs are 1K, then you've got to technically get closer for that. No, because you don't have to fully nose down for cluster bombs. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so you could just do a quick little bloop and dive out. But, but also, there really are not that many maps where you can like fly over a base with impunity. Yeah, there's. Um, there's I know the inner sphere base on Frostbite. If you attack it from um, the right, left, or back instead of coming at it from the front. Um, you can successfully bomb the runway without your bombs um, being shot down by base lasers. Um, but will you survive engagement with there. the lasers? And will you, and yeah, will you, you will probably still get hit by the base turrets on your way in or out at least a little bit. Additionally, uh, there was a, this time, and I think it was the last time I went on a really mad rampage, which I haven't done that since then. It's been years. But uh, Sanchito uh, Escobar, he... Uh, was in a solitaire on uh, ivory towers and was machine gunning my Sula that was on the runway. <laughs> oh, you want to hear some rear salt? Real salt is when you dunk on some player who shan't be named, but has to do with uh, the apex of something balancing. Um, and they take their Uller Charlie and they run it across the entire map on Mirage to sit inside your aerospace hangar waiting for you to land your plane, to try and get back at you. And instead, mm -hmm. you just ask one of your friendlies to walk up there and dunk on him. Yes, that's it. And then they do it again! Just let them sit there and you're... For, for these type... Whenever I hear people talk about, like, oh, you somebody put parking a tank on an enemy team's runway, it's like, it takes you, like, ten minutes to do this. It's not like yeah. you can just... It's not like you can just effortlessly put yourself in the enemy or, like, hangar. Either you're going to get killed by base turrets, or you take a really, really, really long roundabout way, way to get there, where you don't and take damage, or at least enough to significantly hinder you. Any friendly spawn that spawns at the base, which is always next to the runway, can just come yep. by and sweep it up. But it's a profound, whenever you see that, it's a profound testament to salt. Yeah, if you see is. a friendly doing that, be like, okay, man, you need to, you need to log off and just take a breather. You're not in the right headspace. Yeah. Another good point You're about it is that, like, time. is to remember yes. that despite how frustrating it is to get the bomber that you worked so hard to buy completely annihilated by some jerk's epona that's parked on your runway, or just be denied an ability to rearm, uh, just know that they are doing their team a disservice more so than whatever frustration is happening to you. Yeah, you can just buy something else, and they will be useless, sitting trapped by base turrets and all of your spawns constantly. Also, yeah. I know or you I, could just do loop de loop and wait for your teammates to help out. I know Asking I already for uh, help them. Yeah. apologized for killing uh, Sanchito Escobar, team team killing him that one time years ago, but I'm still sorry. I'm sorry I killed you. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. About killing other. Planes on airfield, I think from flight sims, it was unspoken rule to not engage any aircraft that is currently landing or taking off or sitting on an airfield. While this game is not a flight sim, I think it's very dishonorable for any pilot to engage another aircraft that is just landed for example. But you, but you would shoot a powered down neck on a rep pad. 
Tesla. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't. Well, uh, the, to put it in a different context, you wouldn't go into the enemy's main hangar and shoot them while they're trying to repair in their main hangar, would you? Says you. But if you had would. a shot into their main if, hangar from nine hundred meters, would you? If it is, a, if it is a positive ticket trade, because usually there there are very few maps where you can actually do that. Uh, but like, if someone says, "Like, okay, this this like Fafnir needs to die." Because it's like two HP left, I'm gonna go run in. I'm going to go into their main hangar and then instantly get yeeted. But if I can get the positive ticket trade, it's okay. Like that is something I will absolutely do, and I will not begrudge anyone for doing that. <laughs> in the case, case, the situation or opportunity is so rare. Yeah. Versus flight sims, I bet there's people landing and repairing a lot more often than in Living Legends. Uh, un- maybe not, unfortunately, but the opportunity is rare enough that it's not something too frowned upon, like compared to legging where the opportunity is always there, ever present, and it's always and only used as a tool of spite, more or less. Disagree. If um if you are yeah. uh flying around uh and about to land on a runway, I will still shoot at you. If you are in the process of landing, I will still shoot at you. If uh only when you've come to a complete stop will I not shoot at you, but that's just me. I'm I'm not expecting other people to something. obey that rule. Not at this point. I tried to. I I really did try to make it a rule that. Uh, I remember I was, that. Yeah. Yeah, but I was I was so frustrated with That's... getting bombed on the runway repeatedly. It was it was happening pretty commonly to me. I was getting bombed on the runway, shot by light goss. Uh, this was before the turrets were changed. Um, and I was it was. I was getting doggedly pursued by some of the same players over and over again. It was really frustrating. Like there were, I had no option to, other than I to think just that was die. just one player just, pulling your leg because I've never had that happen. Yeah. Except for a couple salt people, you know, the one person running their older to the other side of the map. That's never been. I've never been bombed on a runway. Yeah. It's Whenever I see stuff like times. this, the thing is, like again, it's even if even before like turrets became super omega buff, they were pretty good at killing airspace. Like also taking off and landing is like not super like hard in this game. Like I know it is in flight sims. Like it's a really complicated process and requires a lot of setup. Like in this game, you can land basically installing over the runway and you're fine. You'll yeah. just be insulated against damage unless you're desynced and your tail falls to the floor in a Visigoth, But we don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> um, but that happens to everybody. Uh, uh, what's, what's I know we finished talking about um, friendly fire a while, a while ago, but I, I'd just like to say that if somebody shoots you. 99% of the time, if it's a combat situation or they could accident, possibly yeah. be shooting at enemies, they were. And it was an accidental friendly fire. Yeah, for sure. Or friendly, or they're trying to smack a battle armor that you never saw. Um, I was on Death Valley one time in the Needle's Blood Asp, and I was laying down fire and doing my thing, taking out a Morigu from 1,149 meters away. And some dumb Warhammer Prime walks in front of me and has the gall to look and be like, bro, why'd you shoot at me walking through your line of fire? And he alphas me in the face. I'm like, come on, man. Uh, about uh, ourselves not hard to land in this game. Well, <laughs> right well now, there, yeah, are, there are stupid things, but it's, it's, it's less of a process. No, sure. They, they are very easy to land nowadays. But back then, uh, you had like you had to maintain certain angle of attack to land uh, Corsair, for example. 
I've seen I wouldn't mind videos aerospace being, being changed to be like more technically difficult in some senses like that. Uh, That'd be fun to like raise the low, yeah, raise the skill floor. That uh, is already a this pro- game doesn't need. I that. don't think so. Think, think of it this what? way: when when it, there's like a maybe like twenty people who can actually use aerospace without crashing repeatedly and not like instantly throwing away their tickets, I feel yeah, like you don't need less. to make there's it even too harder. Much I feel like the number's less than 20, Direwolf. Okay, before we get into that sort of conversation, we might just want to do that next time because I'm actually late for my next meeting. So, uh, yeah, uh, thank you all for coming. Thank you, Direwolf. Thank you, Dead Salmon. Thank you, Kome. Uh, Thank you, Architect. Uh, I'd also like to give a shout-out to uh, Shivoxy for our outro music and Timothy Seals for our intro music. This is Ben returning to base, and I hope you uh, listen in next time. Thanks Thanks for hosting Kentax. Yay, pretty, pretty, pretty. Bye.